This is Fiber Variety Hour, an eclectic mashup of fiber obsession, interviews, random silliness, and discussions surrounding all aspects of the fiber community and industry. In each episode, you will find everything from farm features to fabulous festivals. You can find us on social media platforms as Fiber Variety Hour, that's Fiber with an R-E, as well as our Patreon platform. Our presenting sponsor is the Tip of the Mitt Fiber Fair, held each year on the first weekend of June at the Emmett County Fairgrounds in beautiful Petoskey, Michigan. The mission of the festival is to celebrate Michigan's natural fiber, farmers, processors, and skilled artisans. In early 2016, a group of like-minded fiber enthusiasts began planning an event to showcase Michigan's rich natural fiber resources. With a lot of hard work and the support of local businesses and organizations, the annual Tip of the Mitt Fiber Fair was born. You can follow them on Facebook as at Mitt Fiber Fair and on Instagram as at Tip of the Mitt Fiber Fair. In this episode, we had a conversation with Meg Croft, the owner of Woven Art, a brick and mortar yarn shop located in East Lansing, Michigan. Woven Art is a self-proclaimed textile education center offering tools and supplies for weaving, spinning, needlecraft, and more. We jumped right into this one and hope you'll enjoy hearing about Meg's journey and mission as much as we did. As far as, you know, you mentioned knitting lectures, I, one of my main questions was actually related to what you did before you, or you took over the shop. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So when I, well, geez, I mean, I don't even know where to start with that. (laughs) So I guess I'll start, I guess I'll start, um, with maybe my education actually, because that might be a good way mm-hmm. yeah. to get into this. But um, so I, um, I was always interested in knitting and textiles, but I did not have sort of access to studying that necessarily. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily have access to studying that while they're one in high school or college. Uh, and so my, um, my master or my my undergraduate degree uh, is in medieval studies and art history, so um, I did those two combined, um, and uh, I was interested in a lot of things in in medieval studies, but um, when I then decided to go to graduate school um, and I went to um, NYU, um, their program at the Institute of Fine Arts, which is like right across the street from the Metropolitan Museum of Art, um, which is really amazing. Yeah. Um, And so when I was there, I actually decided that I wanted to do more Islamic and medieval art history. So my, uh, my background really is, and I do have a really intense love of research, (laughs) um, is in Islamic and medieval art history. So, um, and I, again, during that time, I didn't really uh, specialize in textiles, although I could have done a little bit more at the time, but um, I really started turning my interest in research um, and then my love of knitting <laughs> um, and have since been doing more research on the history of knitting um, and the history of 
uh, different kinds of textile work. And um, so I'm not uh, an accredited <laughs> uh, textile historian, but um, I am a historian <laughs> who is interested in textiles. Um, and so whenever uh, a textile comes up uh, either in the news or is somehow pops up in on Facebook or social media, um, I'm always like trying to get a better look at it and trying to figure out like most knitters are like, how is this constructed, <laughs> you know, and wanting to be able to take a really close look at it and turn things inside out. So um, as far as my, like my work history goes after I graduated from, um, I was basically working for a um, blue chip art gallery in New York City uh, right after I graduated from college and while I was in my master's degree program. Um, and then um, I decided to move from New York City to Albuquerque, New Mexico, <laughs> as well, one does. <laughs> Just a little different there. Yeah, it was a small culture shock. <laughs> um, and uh, both great art communities, though, right? Yeah, they are. They uh, surprisingly, they are. Um, the New Mexico art scene is um, quite vibrant. Um, and I was in Albuquerque, which is the more is really the working town, the working city of New Mexico versus Santa Fe. Um, Santa Fe has, um, is the state capital and it has all the, a lot of the galleries and a huge tourist scene. Um, Albuquerque is definitely the, like the working city of New Mexico and, um, it's where the biggest population is, um, and it's where the University of New Mexico is. And so while I was there, I was working for Tamarind Institute, um, which is, a, um, is a, a printmaking workshop that trains master printers in the art of lithography. So it's a fine art printing um, uh, institution and they train usually six to eight students a year uh, on how to use um, limestone slabs to make art and do it in collaboration with an artist. So you have a master technician and you're working with an artist um, to make a, a print edition. Um, and so I worked, I was working there. Um, and then um, I was, my partner um, finished his residency and fellowship at the university. We moved to Boston and um, I started a, another <laughs> degree. <laughs> so, I'm setting a theme move across the country yeah. start another you know yeah yeah exactly so um there I started a uh library science degree uh and I was really interested in getting into more like special collections in a museum um or um special collections uh in a in a larger library institution so um I have always been interested in the art of the book. And um, anyway, so I was in, I was in that program. Uh, and then also I was working, um, I started working at a yarn shop. So uh, my mentor, uh, Aldrich Robinson, um, she owned Newberry Yarns um, and that uh, was on Newberry Street. I think they've moved again now. 
but uh, she very kindly took me in, even though I had not worked at a yarn shop before, um, but I had worked very, very upscale retail, <laughs> um, working at an art gallery. Um, and so I started working for her. And then my husband's job blew up. Um, we had to, um, it, it had a meltdown. His, his uh, boss was removed from office. Uh, and so uh, all of a sudden he had a lot more responsibility than he felt that he could handle at that time. And so we did an emergency move to Michigan. <laughs> and so um, uh, we were in Boston for like 10 months and then moved to Michigan. And um, after I couldn't really find a job and I was working uh, a series of jobs that were fine, but they weren't super fulfilling. And I had been going to the yarn shops and I walked into Woven Art and um, asked the current owner, the then owner, um, if she was hiring. And she looked at me and she said, you know what? Yes. And so we decided to have a meeting. I brought sort of all my knitting projects that I had done up until then that I still had that I hadn't gifted away to show off, you know, what kind of skill set I had and um, knowledge base. And um, she didn't really want to look at them. <laughs> and um, she really wanted to just talk to me uh, and see how our personalities matched and what my um, I think what my skill sets, uh, business-wise might be. Um, and <laughs> so she really kind of hired me on the spot, which, um, I was really not expecting at all. Um, and I'm a little tightly wound and I like to have my ducks in a row. And it was just very, it was very different personality, um, types where, she was very much um, uh, feeling, sensing uh, kind of person. And I am your INTJ. <laughs> you know, I'm just like very analytical, very judge, you know, it's, it, yeah. So um, I started working at Woven Art in 2009 and um, worked there for a number of years and then actually bought it from her in 2013. <laughs> so that's sort of my history. <laughs> wow. Do you think that she was hoping you would buy it from her? I think so. I think so. Because I also made the mistake of mentioning in my interview that I was interested in possibly owning a yarn shop one day. And I wanted to see if I liked the business and whether I felt I had the business, business acumen to do it. And so one of the things that I asked her was, could she provide me with a more intense job than working as basically a retail clerk on the floor? So I asked her if it could also be sort of a business internship. And she said, yes. So um, yeah, it worked really well. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah. So um, I wasn't necessarily 
scheming to buy the shop and she wasn't necessarily scheming to sell it to me, but that's what happened. <laughs> that's serious kismet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was really interesting because just recently, last week, I think it was, was when I found out that you had such a strong art history background and I got really excited because I had no idea. Um, I, I, my undergrad is a bachelor's of fine arts, but I very heavily focused on art history. So I was like, yeah. oh, we have that in common. And I didn't even know. Yeah. I, um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's on paper, it's a fairly, um, let's say hard to categorize exactly where you're going to end up. <laughs> I mean, it's like you're, you're the proverbial English major, right? Right. <laughs> um, so what I feel like an art history degree did for me was developed a very strong um, visual language, mm -hmm. um, a very uh, strong sense of of color and color theory uh and um a very particular way that i want things to look because mm -hmm. of 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 my art history degree um and it really it really helps <laughs> surprisingly when you're helping customers with color mm -hmm. and picking colors out and putting colors together and trying to explain to them why they shouldn't put black with that. They should put either a dark blue, you know, a, a really dark navy or a really dark plum um, or a really dark like purple brown with something that it's just a richer color combination and it's going to be more striking than just using black. <laughs> so it also might be easier to work with in poor light. Well, that too. <laughs> I mean, from the purely logistical standpoint of, of having knit several black hats for my nephew. Yes. Yeah. I mean, but working with black yarn is just, um, it can be, it can be so hard and it can be really hard on your eyes. And as someone who's now uh, firmly in her mid forties, um, I can honestly say my my eyes are too tired by the end of the day to work with black yarn. Like there's even dark brown, dark gray, even that can be hard. So um, I totally get it. But for color, for color, <laughs> for color, look at like, yeah, the dark blues, the dark purples, those really dark, rich colors, and you'll get a much more interesting project out of it. And that's what art history has done for me. <laughs> I feel like that should be on a, a t-shirt or something. This is what art history did for me. <laughs> yeah. I was I very excited my... when I found out that um, um, April, who used to own Madeline Tosh, she was an art history major as well. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with that background, um, you know, I, I know I would be like biased toward people who might be using colors that were influenced by something that I enjoyed, you know, how do you go about figuring out what you like to have in the shop? Oh boy. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a whole nother thing. I mean, I, I really love um, good, honest wools. Uh, so 
uh, I love, you know, slightly crunchy, more natural wools that have character and they kind of, they have nice tooth and stick together nicely. Um, but I also know that most people are not necessarily a, um, uh, a crunchy wool lover. <laughs> so um, what I really try to do at the shop is make sure that I do have a good selection for everybody. Mm -hmm. So uh, I make sure that I have some really nice soft wools, um, really beautiful hand-dyed yarns, <clears throat> cat. Um, <laughs> and um, also, you know, I have a low care section, which, you know, it's, it serves its purpose, but it's not, that's not where my heart lies. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I really try to have good quality yarn. I want to have yarn that as can be as more sustainable um, that's in my shop. So American grown, American milled, American dyed. Um, that's a priority for me, although it, you know, it's always, it's always harder. <laughs> it's, some days are harder than others. You can, only, you can only pull from where it's available too. So Exactly. And then what other people may not realize is that um, there are some companies that are fairly small production. Um, and you may not, if you want to bring in that company, you might not be able to. You might have to sit on a waiting list. And, you know, if your social media is not up to snuff or if you're not doing enough events, you're, you know, you're just not going to be able to bring in that yarn. Um, so there's all kinds of ways and reasons why you have the yarns that you do. Um, for my shop, um, I really want to have natural, sustainable fibers in on my shelves. And to, I will spend the time educating people as to why I have those yarns and why I have picked those yarns. So in a way, my background as working as a gallery director, <laughs> um, curating shows and curating what I want to put together on the walls has come back to me um, in what I want to have in the shop because what I have in the shop is, I feel is a reflection of me. And um, I know very much how I want to be perceived and how I really want people to um, identify with what I have in the shop. As with the more, as you put it, crunchy wool, um, <laughs> yeah. I'm curious that in your time of working with people and giving them that education of why and where it comes from, do you see a shift in what people use once they have that information? I do. So, uh, and I do this also with my needles. So um, one of the things that's really important to me is I don't want to judge what I think the customer wants, right? Like I, I don't want to tell them, I think you should buy this. What I'll tell them is I will put two or three choices in front of them and I'll say, these are your best options for your project. This one is an American sourced fiber um, and is 
grown and milled in Michigan. This one is an, a, a produced in Michigan fiber and the fiber is sourced from someplace else. And this yarn is an import from South America. And, you know, it's, it's probably your most economical option, but these are your options. And then let them choose what is going to be best for their project. Same thing goes with the needles. You know, I have a needle, needles that are made in Europe and needles that are made in China. And they, they want to know what the difference is. And um, well, I mean, one of the differences is very strong labor laws. <laughs> so again, I'll put those choices before them. And for my customers in my area, uh, most of them will choose the European made needles, which are more expensive, but they, that's important to them. That, that political choice of, of buying from a company that has strong labor laws is more important to them. Um, but I also have, I'm across the, <laughs> I'm across the street from 50,000 undergrads. <laughs> um, so I have, you know, I have a lot of young kids who some of them are learning how to knit and they don't have the budget to buy those needles. So I have those needles for them and that they can get in on lower price needles if that is what they want. Um, and some of them opt for the European made needles as well, but I need to have a good inexpensive needle as well. And so, you know, I will put both needles in their hand and let them make the choice. And that way that has that accessibility of being able to make that choice and depending on what, yeah. they, what choice they can make. Exactly. That's not, that's not my decision to make. And mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to feel like I would judge them for their ability to buy one needle over another. Mm -hmm. And so if they choose one or the other, that is fine with me. But I do have those two options because really those are the two populations I have um, uh, as far as, um, as customers are concerned. So you talked a lot about knitting supplies that you carry, but not only do you carry knitting supplies, you also carry uh, weaving and spinning supplies. And also um, speaking of like mentors and things that you were saying before, seems like you're doing a little bit of that too by incubating another shop, right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, so yes, as you can probably tell from the name of the shop, <laughs> Woven Art Yarn Shop, um, we actually started out as a small hand dye shop and um, also a weaving studio uh, and textile education center, which it still kind of is. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we do have, we, we do knitting and crochet, spinning and weaving. Um, but yes, uh, in 2019, I was able to uh, secure the lease on the space next door to us. Um, and we were able to knock through, put a hole in the wall and put a door there um, and basically double our footprint. And um, I didn't need all of that space. I definitely could have filled it if I wanted to, you know, it's sort of 
I mean, it's the same principle as my desk. You know, if there's a clear space on it, that's not going to last long. There is going to be something there. And the bigger the desk, the more stuff there's going to be. Same thing with the shop. I could have <laughs> filled the entire thing very easily. But um, one of my friends wanted to start up a fabric business, especially um, looking specifically at uh, garment sewing. And uh, so I offered her the storefront on the other side of the space. So she has, um, she's gonna be occupying like the first third of that space. And then I'm occupying about a third of that space. And then we have a joint classroom, um, which obviously hasn't been used for a while, <laughs> but we have it. Um, It'll be there when we are able to come back. Exactly. And actually right now um, we have been using it uh, for some of our local artists who have been missing out on um, local uh, art fairs. And so they have been bringing their things in um, and selling them out of that room. Um, that was mostly before Christmas. So um, we need to freshen it up again, but um, we've been doing that as sort of outreach to um, our local arts community to try and get them um, some kind of income, um, mm -hmm. especially for the ones who actually do that as their only income. So it so. sounds like you've almost got the incubation within an incubation going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a Matryoshka doll of, <laughs> of incubation going on. So... <laughs> Um, it was really important to me to try and shelter another business for a while. Um, and uh, I really wanted to be able to make our textile options in, in East Lansing and Lansing a lot stronger than it has traditionally been. Um, we really don't have much in the way of we have quilt shops, of course, but we don't have much in the way of garment sewing. Uh, and there are so many people who are multi-craftual, right? So um, we wanted to make sure that, yep, <laughs> that, um, that we were serving a lot of the community that was not being served um, by quilt shops that carry very specifically quilting material, like quilting, um, quilting fabric. Um, so it's been great. Um, and I think one of the things I've really enjoyed about having, um, Jesse next door is that I'm a sole proprietor. Um, I'm, I'm the only owner of woven art. And that means that I don't get to bounce ideas off of people. And that's so important with businesses is to have those peers and have those connections that help you grow and help you think about things in different ways. And so having Jesse next door has really done that for me and has really made um, a huge difference in um, my ability to take things on that maybe I wouldn't have before um, and has really provided um, uh, good inspiration. So we're very different personality wise. I am, I am more than happy to overthink things for weeks. <laughs> um, and Jesse is definitely a leap before you look kind of gal. <laughs> so 
um, she's been very helpful in getting me to be a little less analytical or maybe over analytical about things um, and to take chances a little bit more. And I'd like to think that maybe I'm helping her in the opposite fashion. <laughs> so with that, um, with the incubation within an incubation, it sounds like you're giving people that maybe have less of a platform and less of a place to have their arts, not even just right now, but maybe in general, mm -hmm. uh, a spot. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we definitely have done that kind of thing before. I mean, we do, we, we do, um, we've done a number of different um, fundraisers through the shop, which have been, um, I think well received in the community. So um, we've done drives for our um, our local um, domestic violence shelter. We've done things for um, the diaper bank um, in our area, um, the women's shelter, um, and um, uh, the um, immigrant center in Lansing as well. So we've done all of that, um, but you know, being in a university town and being in a big 10 town, um, it's not hard to see really which way um, people's politics lay really. Um, and so we do have a lot of um, craftivism going on <laughs> in our community. Um, and so uh, we've done a number of projects over the years that have benefited different, um, well, they've either been sort of, they're often very customer driven. So um, we, of course, were participating in the, in the pussy hats um, where um, there was no pink yarn to be had in the land. Um, it was, it was insanity um, and uh, was a great thing at that, at that time. Um, yeah, at that, at that time and um, was really uh, heartwarming to see people just really wanting um, to be visible. Um, so that was great. Uh, but we also have done, in response to the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting, mm -hmm. um, so we sent um, a blanket to the yarn shop there um, and it was distributed and that was made of squares from different, um, the, by different knitters and we put it together and sent it off. So really kind of creating a space where people can get involved in that craftivism um, with the shop, but also just plain uh, cooperating with each other while they're doing it. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, I mean, that's always the case with knitters, I think, is that we've always tried to find our community that we fit in. So um, that, is certainly the case at Woven Art where we, you know, we, we reflect the community that we're a part of. Mm -hmm. um, and, and having the university across the street is a big driver of that. Um, so we're not, you know, East Lansing and Lansing, it, Lansing's not maybe known to be the most dynamic capital and um, coming originally from Connecticut, I can honestly say that, um, you know, Hartford <laughs> did not have a great reputation either <laughs> as being the most interesting place to live. But um, 
but I'll say that, you know, Lansing has a lot of really well-educated people working in the government, working at the university, working in the health system. And I have, my customer base comes from that. And, um, and uh, it's really interesting to find out who my customers are because it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> they're, um, they're professors or staff at MSU or working for the, the state um, downtown um, or working for any of the sort of governmental associations um, that have members throughout the state. So um, it's really a fascinating community. And um, yeah, we definitely um, reflect the community that we come from. Now, I know that you also have an assistant supervisor that's rather short and fuzzy. Oh, yes. And <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and has a really great relationship with your UPS driver. I oh, oh, yes. Yeah. So um, during the week, I bring my dog Zebby to the shop. He is a soon to be 13 year old Corgi. Yeah, he's turning 13 um, on. Well, he'll be turning 13 soon. Um, and yep, he parks himself right at the front door uh, and he waits for the big brown truck to come and uh, he gets a treat from the driver every day, mm -hmm. sometimes even when we don't have a package coming. Um, yeah, and hope I don't get the guy in trouble. <laughs> um, and then during the pandemic, I had to, when, um, when we were under lockdown, I had to divert all of my packages that normally would have gone to the shop to my house. And um, because I live, I live six minutes away from the shop. So I'm very close to, wow. to my shop. I can walk there. Um, I usually don't, but I, I could walk there. <laughs> and um, so I have the same UPS driver uh, who delivers to the shop. And so, um, he would leave my packages on the front stoop of my house and leave a little biscuit on top for Zebby. Um, yeah, so it was really, really sweet. And um, yeah, and Zeb is, he's a good boy. He's going a little deaf now um, and he'll, he can sleep through entire customer visits. No. But um, yeah, he's sweet. He is very sweet. I did recently learn that him parking himself there has a specific name and it's actually a thing. Yes. And <laughs> so, yeah. So is that, what is that called again? Yes. So if, and this is sort of official Corgi language, if his both feet are sticking out the back, <laughs> it's called a sploot. And if only one foot is sticking out the back, it's called a half sploot. <laughs> so he normally does, he used to do a full sploot, but now he only does a half sploot. So uh, yeah, but he still does it. I don't know how for much longer, depending on his hips, but. <laughs> yeah. We actually read somewhere that it is like a stretching thing for them. Like that's why they do it. But. I wouldn't be surprised. Their legs are so short. I don't know how they would stretch them in any other way. <laughs> So if, if that gets all the treats, then what does your roving sheep get? Oh, Frida. So yes, I have a large uh, 
stuffed animal sheep. Let me put it that way. It's not a stuffed sheep. It's a stuffed animal sheep. Um, and she's quite large. She's probably about as large as some German shepherds. And um, yeah, and she used to make appearances outside the shop on nice days uh, during the summer and the fall. Um, but that's not going to happen anymore. Um, the number of years ago, I think it was 2018, um, she got stolen. <laughs> and I normally, I normally don't put things outside on football Saturdays. Um, but we were having an event and it was an away game. So I thought that maybe it would be okay, but no, she, um, someone picked her up and carried, carried off a very large <laughs> stuffed animal sheep and um, she just disappeared. And she was gone for several weeks. And um, yeah, my, my wonderful customers, I made up a, um, I made up flyers and my wonderful customers went door to door in the student area and um, <laughs> were talking to all the undergrads they could find to see if anyone knew anything about it and, um, and dropped off flyers. And then flyers went to all the coffee shops in town. They also ended up at all the bars and at the local restaurants too. <laughs> so was Frida and, sitting on a bar stool then somewhere? <laughs> I'm afraid Frida was probably at a frat house, but oh, um, yeah, exactly. So, um, so everyone was very aware that Frida was missing and she got a write-up in um, our local online paper. And um, you know, people, there were pins made uh, there were social media posts about find hashtag find Frida. <laughs> and um, we told our UPS driver and our FedEx driver and our postal man. And, um, and then we decided to tell some of the maintenance guys for the um, property management companies in our area, because they're in and out of houses all the time and see things. And one of them reported back that he couldn't remember which address it was at, but he had seen her. Yeah, so we knew we were on the right track. We knew that we were um, turning up the heat. <laughs> and so then all of a sudden, I think it was a, just a random Wednesday, uh, she just showed up at the shop. And it was, a, it was an undergrad kid who brought her in and he told me, um, Kind of a fishy tale uh, about her showing up on his front porch but I mean it is possible that maybe the a frat decided she was getting too hot and <laughs> put her on the front porch for someone else to find and um, yeah so she came back not too worse for wear considering frat house most likely um, but the most important thing was that she arrived back three days before the Michigan State University versus Michigan football game. Because if she hadn't made it back before then, I think 
she probably would have ended up torched on the front lawn of one of the frat houses. Yeah. And that's what I was desperate to not see. I did like, if she disappeared and I never saw her again, I would have to live with that. I would be very sad, but I'd have to live with it. If I saw her like destroyed in the trash or torched on the front lawn, I was definitely, I was definitely going to have some really bad moments. Um, but she made it back. She's safe in the shop and she's not going out. <laughs> so she's an indoor sheep only now. Domestic sheep. Yep. <laughs> Domestic <laughs> indoor sheep. <laughs> terrible. <Yeah>, Sorry <laughs> stories. <laughs> so is there anything else you wanted to plug or you have coming up or talk about before we let you go? Yeah, I've got a couple things. Um, one, we just launched our new online website. Um, which we're still adding to, but um, it now ties into our inventory. So it's a live inventory system. Um, so that is up and running and I'm super thankful for that. And you can find it at wovenartshop.com. And then I'm also hoping uh, to be brushing off my history of knitting lectures. And those were um, done over a series of years for our local knitting guild, the Mid-Michigan Knitting Guild. And uh, I'm hoping to uh, tighten them up and modernize them a little bit, um, make sure that they're as up-to-date as they can be. Um, and then I'm hoping to be giving them as a Zoom lecture in the near future. So if you're interested in finding out more about that, uh, you can join our newsletter by going to our website and signing up um, or following us on Instagram at Woven Art Shop or following us on Facebook at Woven Art Shop. Great. Thanks so much, Meg. Thank you. Thanks for making the time for us. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Fiber Variety Hour with Meg Croft, owner of Woven Art Yarn Shop in East Lansing, Michigan. To find out more about Woven Art and to be the first to hear about new products, Zoom lectures, and more, be sure to sign up for Meg's newsletter on her website, wovenartshop.com, and follow her on social media at Woven Art Shop. This edition of Fiber Variety Hour was sponsored by Tip of the Mitt Fiber Fair in beautiful Petoskey, Michigan. To find out more about the festival, visit tipofthemittfiberfair.com.